0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Um, and Christ is in our midst. Thank you. As Orthodox Christians, we're fairly fond of prayer, wouldn't you say? Do we like prayer around here? Yeah? Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're into prayer. It's kind of like, it's one of, the th- one of our things, you know? And... Um, I want to talk about that a little bit today. We see a kind of logic that takes place in the human life. We were conceived a flash of light and the mystery of God's love, the spontaneous formation of a human person. Then a child is born, known now by not only mother and father, who has an inkling of what's taking place in God, but the world is presented with the miracle of the child when the child is born. As the child grows, the conscience is formed, self awareness, individual identity, sense of belonging, sense of rejection. And we hope that also formed within the person is an act of awareness of God. We become members of the church. Some are engrafted at an early age into the church, and some much later. And We become partakers of the holy mysteries. We become participants going along, doing different things. But but what else? What else is there? The inner dialogue continues. Eventually, I find myself coming and going as I please. I am who I am, but am I who I am as apart from Christ in any way? Apart from calling upon his name, do I have any identity Any sense of my own identity as apart from him? Can I perceive of myself in any other way? Do I forget him? How long will I fluctuate between presence and absence? At what point do I cease to be my own and find that I'm ceaselessly of the one who knew me before I was formed in the womb? We forget that it requires much effort, and I think that's why some people give up. They give up because they feel like where where is where is he? Where is God? why don't I see him? Why don't I perceive of him? But we continue to read in the lives of the saints and of the fathers of the church that God is a a respecter of human freedom, and he gives us the opportunity to continue to Draw near to him. But at what point and how do we find ourselves to be ceaselessly of the one who knew us before we were formed, even before we were formed in the womb? And I think I find an answer to this question in today's gospel reading. We hear the exclamation of the blind man today saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. We see in this a primitive form of the Jesus prayer. Interestingly enough, when he asked who it was who was coming, he heard the commotion, the activity. Who's coming? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. A guy and where he was from. But this blind man, like those lepers who called out to Jesus, calling him Master Last week this blind man called that to him Son of David, which means Messiah, the the anointed one. He was putting his hope in Christ as Messiah. He automatically perceived of who Jesus was, and he called out to him in this way. He was alerted to this the spectacle of the Savior passing by, that this man named Jesus was near. And we could say, I've seen, and that's enough. I know that he exists. That's enough. I know that he's phenomenal. I know that he's spectacular and wonderful. Okay. Fine. I believe all of that. But it's still all up here. As we know, belief in and of itself is not enough. Just to say that Jesus of Nazareth is there, but the proclamation of faith, Jesus son of David, or as we say now, knowing, proclaiming him as the son of God, very God of very God. We call him Jesus, son of God. Have mercy on me. And for the blind man, it wasn't enough just to know that Jesus was there. He had to cry out, demanding of him, demanding of Jesus, have mercy on me. What boldness. And even when they tried to suppress him, Be silent, man, you're making a scene. No. In his manner, he proclaimed, No, I need the Savior. It was at this very moment that this word they rebuked him, telling him to be silent, that that resulted in me recalling a story from the life of St. Porphyrio's. Some of you have heard it, I'm sure, or read it. But it's a beautiful story, and I think it's one that's relevant to today. And one that if you've heard it once, you should hear it again, and then maybe read it a third time, and then maybe read it three times next year. From the life of St. Porphyrios, he was a saint of the 20th century, and the author of the wonderful book, Wounded by Love, and you know I often recommend, if anyone asks me, what should I read, Father? I say, have you read Wounded by Love? I think the book Wounded by Love is a great gift to our generation. St. Porphyrios, having experienced his monastic formation on Mount Athos, in the quietude and simplicity and squalor of a small skeet with a couple of elder monks, he ended up in Greece due to ongoing health problems. These required him to remain on the mainland where he could receive more advanced care and more nutritious foods. And he developed the longing to serve as, at a hospital. And by God's providence, he was assigned to what's called the Polyclinic, Clinic, a large hospital in Athens. And specifically assigned to serve as the rector, the, the, mm-hmm. head, the main priest of St. Eurasimo's church a church with a kind of cosmopolitan clientele, and especially a very strange place for an uneducated monk from Mount Athos. If you read the book, or if you, if you have read the story of St. Porphyrios, you know that it was those who were erudite and educated who were usually assigned to posts such as these, not little uneducated ones who Pursued monasticism when they were 12 years old, like St. Porphyrios. But he tells a story about his experience as the priest in the polyclinic in this busy area. He says, when I was appointed as priest in the polyclinic, I experienced a great temptation, but God helped me. On the first Sunday, I went to celebrate the liturgy full of joy. My desire to work in a hospital was about to be fulfilled. God had given me this gift. But what happened to me? Just as I was about to begin, I heard the noise of a gramophone, a record player, blaring out love songs from just outside the church. I love you, I love you. I started the service. The noise boomed on, unabated. I read the prayers of the divine liturgy, Outside, the crooning continued relentlessly. Inside, the church was full of people. I came to the holy doors and I said, peace be to all. But the liturgy was far from peaceful. When I finished in a state of despair, I consumed the holy gifts, took off my vestments, folded them and went out at once. Opposite the church was a shop that advertised gramophones and gramophone records. I went politely to the shop owner, Mr. Coritas. That was his name. And I asked him, if possible, to switch off the gramophone, at least during the divine liturgy. I've got to earn my living, he replied. There's no way I can do what you want. I have children to look after and rent to pay. Please, I insisted. It's distracting me, and it's not right. Mind your own business, was his response. What was I to do now? I thought about leaving the church and looking for another one, I felt under an obligation because I had been given the post, even though I didn't have the qualifications. I became deeply depressed. I sat in the sanctuary and I thought, what would I do? I said to myself that I would have to leave. I couldn't stay any longer. How could I live there? How could I celebrate liturgy? Especially as someone who had come from the desert from complete and utter silence. How could I endure such satanic noise? All the buses passed in front of the church door. You could hear the constant sound of their horns hooting as they went up and down. I resolved to leave, but how would I announce it? I returned home dejected. I did not know what to do. I went back home and racked my brains. I didn't even want to eat. What was I to do? I had been so overjoyed that I'd found a post in a hospital and that I would see sick people, that I would be able to look after them, talk to them, hear their confessions and give them Holy Communion. Now what? Only God could extricate me from this difficult situation. And so in answer to the dreadful problem I was facing, I said to myself, whatever God says, my God, I said, I don't want you to speak to me, I don't want you to show me a sign, but with your own love, reveal to me something simple that will enable me to know whether I should leave or stay. Something very simple, I'm not asking for some miracle, I'm ashamed to. And so I decided to fast for three days, without even putting water in my mouth, praying in complete silence and waiting for an answer from God. And the answer came... While I was in the chapel of St. most various people came to light a candle. At one point, a woman came in with her child. The boy would have been in the first year of secondary school. He was carrying his school books with him. One of them was his physics textbook. I asked him if I could have a look at it because I was always curious to learn something new. As I was leafing through it, I lighted on a page showing the following experiment If you throw a small stone into a calm lake, you see the water making ripples over a small area. If you then throw a larger stone, the ripples become larger and extend over a larger area so that they outflank the first ripples. At that moment, I received the answer to my dilemma. It was a divine illumination. I reason as follows. The small ripples from the singing outside the church can be outflanked by the prayers of great spiritual intensity that are being said inside the church. And at the same time, there came at once into my mind, forcefully, very forcefully, and if you celebrate here and have your mind on God, who can cause you any harm? So I prepared myself to do just this, to abandon myself completely in Christ's love, to execute with great zeal the spiritual intensity and the drama of the divine liturgy, The awesome drama of Golgotha. My joy was very great. I believed that God had found a solution for me. On the Sunday morning, I arrived at the church full of hope. I gave the blessing to begin. My mind was focused solely on the divine worship. I felt that I was in heaven as well as on earth. And with me was the congregation. God's flock initiates into the holy mystery of his word. I felt that we were all embraced by divine grace. Outside, the gramophone was blaring furiously. I heard nothing. For the first time, I experienced a divine liturgy like that. It was the most beautiful of my life. And from then onwards, all the divine liturgies were the same. In this story, we encounter the booming resonance of the gramophone. And in that, likewise as in the gospel, you hear the insistent rebukes of the people telling the man to be quiet. There are many things that would steal us from prayer. Many, many things. Of course, the enemy, the enemy, the deceiver, Satan himself, would love to pull us from giving our unwavering attention to God. Of course, our selfish desires and passions would like to pull us away from something that is not immediately satisfying. Why try? Thinking that if we just escape to something else, we'll eventually find what we're looking for, when in fact what we're looking for is always ever-present. We just have to learn to Outflank the distractions with larger ripples in our intense prayer for God. Also a desire for success, especially an immediate desire for success in the world perhaps, or even a more subtle one in the spiritual life. We want to come across as mature or more advanced than we really are. And when we pray and we struggle and pray, we say, I'm not feeling it. Why try? What a great distraction. What a subtle rebuke. Don't bother. It's as if you're saying to yourself, don't bother Jesus, because you're not there. Why try? In the Gospel reading, though, we have a man physically blind, but he was able to see what was important. I like to say sometimes we have to close, the, close our eyes in order to see. I think we have to close the, the eyes of our senses in order to see. We have to close the eyes even of our expectation, of our self-expectation in order to see. What am I trying to get out of this? I don't, I don't care. I don't want any to get anything out of it anymore. I just want to just be with the one who is ever-present. This man didn't choose to be blind, didn't choose to be blind, but he was able to see Jesus and long for him, and he called out to him. And in the story, we have a man who had physical sight, St. Porphyrios, who was nearly blinded by distraction. I think most of us could relate to him when he said, I was feeling depressed. I didn't know what to do. There's that story again, that common narrative I don't know what to do. How can I get out of it? He almost gave in to the voices that would have had him be quiet and move on. And what would have happened if he had given up so quickly? Lived a life maybe of pious delusion. Who knows? If he had given up, I think that that he could have become another casualty in the war between attention and distraction, between the muttering of words and actual prayer. He could have been in a silent place without outward distraction, thinking that he was praying with attention, while maybe just becoming, as our bishops, as a liturgical robot. He always reminds us, clergy, you're not here just to become a liturgical robot, not to rattle off prayers, The cry of the man, Jesus son of David, have mercy on me is really the cry and even the demand of the human heart. Have mercy on me. We all want a touch, we all want attention, we all want healing. We all desire to know God. This is the cry of the human heart, and this links me back to my initial statement that we as orthodox Christians were pretty preoccupied with prayer. And we're preoccupied with calling out to Christ. We're overwhelmed by the desire to make our lips and our tongue and our voice vessels for proclaiming such a longing. Why do we repeat ourselves? Why do we say it so much? Lord, have mercy, for example. It's because it's important for us to, to say it. We repeat things that are important. When I was a child, I was told somehow, the more you do something, the less important it is, the less valuable it is. I don't know how that worked. We were told, if you take communion frequently, for example, you start taking it for granted. Of course, we didn't understand that the holy mysteries were sacraments, a means by which God really reaches us and touches us. And we often get challenged, actually, on a little side. We get challenged, oftentimes, for accused of vain repetition. The problem isn't the repetition. (laughs) The problem is when it becomes vain. When it becomes the rattling off of empty words, pretending like you're doing what's right, without really relying on God. Without really leaning into the bosom of Christ. Without... Whispering your prayer into his ear. The activity, just, just the activity of prayer is not enough. So in this logic of the Christian life, many things happen, including the nurturing of a life of prayer. The activity of prayer, we do start somewhere, the activity of praying, the doing of it, is something that precedes what we might call pure prayer, focused or attentive prayer, or living prayer. I love little turns-on phrases like, our goal isn't just to pray, but to be prayer. As Christians, not just to love, but to be love. We can move even from saying prayers, even as from the heart, born from an innate longing of the person for union with God as a necessary step in the progression of the spiritual life. We can move from prayers from the heart, even to prayer, what we would call prayer of the heart. The fathers of the church talk about how when they discipline themselves to pray, their prayer goes from being a verbal articulation to a mental awareness of what one is saying, and then to the prayer of the heart, which is the awareness from the core of one's own being that he is constantly longing and responding, even by living. By living. Living is a response to our need for God and the animation that only he has given us, but such that with even heart, each heartbeat, you see, each heartbeat is even like a syllable of the words of our prayers. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. At first, the feeble attempts of prayer are like small ripples in the water, competing and overlapping with other such small ripples. Those of the other distractions and preoccupations are the other small ripples, And this can make the activity of prayer for like an exercise in futility. We can become discouraged or depressed, like St. Porfirio said. And prayer can feel forced or unnatural. But I don't think that we'll be able to uh, eradicate the ripples going forth. We We can't just, like he went and asked the man to turn off the gramophone. We can't just turn off the stimuli around us and neither can we silence the many voices that would have us to be those who passively acknowledge the passing by of the Savior you know not not just enough to just simply give a nod to Jesus that he's there and move on but we must hear this demand of the heart and this is what I want to get at today We must hear this demand of the heart. It's far from being a selfish imposition of our will on God. But it's an admission of our true need. And it's a reclaiming of the passion. We talk about the passions in the negative sense all the time because we've lost control of them, but we need to gain control of them. And then the passion of desire becomes a desire for the soul with God. A desire for the one needful thing. And when you, when you can frame it that way, you go and stand in front of your icons. You have to tell yourself, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm doing it. And you exert some effort. And you have to divest yourself of an unhealthy form of well, self-consciousness. What am I doing? Am I doing it right? What am I? No, 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 no. How about this? It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about being with him. So give yourself over to it and trust him. Follow that example of St. Porfirio's. I don't have a human solution. I can't find one. I need God's help. And you know what? You can't enter into union with God without God. Makes sense, right? Sometimes we try and and give up on ourselves. We have to give ourselves over to him and trust him. And when we do, when this takes place, when there's a willful abandonment of the self to Christ's love, then every pain and every desire, every capacity that we have can be converted into prayer. The ancient words become our own mercy on me. Wandering thoughts become quickly superseded by attention to God. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes persistence. Prayer ceases to be about my hearing my own voice and the projections of the heart leap to the ear of the Savior who in turn approaches and says now having been blind you may truly see Even when your eyes are closed, even in the midst of physical darkness, your faith has made you well. So my exhortation today is that we should try to embrace this manner of praying. That every prayer becomes our own. That every liturgy we pray together is met with hope and the zeal of of those whose voices will not be hushed in any way. For we are initiates into the word of God, the living word of God, Christ himself. We've been made partakers of true joy and worshipers of the true and living God. Amen.